Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus today. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers on the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take it easy podcast live here on the believe podcast network happy tuesday october 5th at the time of recording maybe a different day different time however and whenever you're listening we appreciate you stopping in here to the take it easy pod make sure to follow download leave those five star reviews doesn't have to be a nice review just leave five stars write mean things write nice things write Two sentences, two words, one word, one letter. If you write one letter, I commend you, but do all of that to help support us here. Fun day yesterday, huh? Instagram went down for like seven hours. We really all are addicted to our phones. Like, it's one of the great unspoken addictions. Um, It definitely messed with my head through a lot of high school. So uh, near and dear to my heart is my Instagram addiction with comical sports memes, which you can check out now wherever you access Instagram. Um... You can check out some of our funny jokes. But anyways, uh, that was a cool thing that happened on Monday. Longest outage in the world after the whistleblower went on 60 Minutes to talk about Facebook's ignoring, which, I mean, they could have just marketed it as company ignores public good in order to make profits, and you pretty much would have gotten the picture. But was an interesting story. I highly recommend everyone check out the Facebook whistleblower story and how that kind of correlates to all of their services falling apart This week. For people who may not also know, Facebook and Instagram are the same company under the umbrella of Facebook. Facebook spent like $1 billion back in like 2012 for Instagram. So, really good purchase. Just like Google buying YouTube. Really, really good purchase by Google at the time. So, that is something interesting that happened. What I want to talk about is Major League freaking baseball because it's October and I don't know if you can hear the excitement in my voice while I talk about things like phone addiction and social media addiction and the fact that it's messing with young people's minds including my own but baseball playoffs hit the music Yeah. 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 
shout out to the 619 down in San Diego and shout out to my man Rob Stone for that Padres rap anthem of 2021. Even though the Padres 2021 is over, still want to milk every little bit out of that song that we can because it's such a freaking banger. So it's playoff time, baby. October baseball is my favorite playoff format. I've talked about how awesome playoff hockey is, but Without a doubt, playoff baseball is my favorite playoff format because if you put stakes around Major League Baseball, you I love people complain all the time about baseball being long, especially when you get to the playoffs. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. Give me four and a half hours of playoff baseball. I will milk it up the same way I milk up 40 hours of March Madness within 72 total hours. I spend more time watching March Madness those first three days than I do sleeping. I will absorb all the Major League Baseball that I can during the playoffs because playoff baseball is the best format. It's, It's like the NBA in that all these sample sizes are long. It's like the NFL in that everything is random, except you take the two months of the NBA playoffs, you condense it into one, and you make everything more random. And that is awesome. And I am so excited for this year's baseball playoffs because it's complete and utter chaos this year because we've been talking all year about the San Francisco Giants, and we'll get to them in a little bit, but they ended up keeping off the Dodgers at the end of the division. Dodgers also lose maybe two of their four best players just before the playoffs, which we talk about injuries in the NBA a lot and sometimes injuries in the NFL, like that dictated the championship last year. It does it less in baseball because everything is less concrete than the NBA and the NFL because in baseball, the sample sizes are so random that weird shit happens all the time in baseball. And I love that it's that way. It's that sometimes baseball's playoffs are going to not be an accurate representation of who the best teams are. A lot of the times it is because some teams are just totally overwhelming. Like last year, you got a representation of the best teams in a short season. The Dodgers made the World Series in the National League almost uncontested, except for when they went down 3-1 to against the Atlanta Braves, who were the second best team last year, in the National League, and then the Braves fell apart and the Dodgers made the World Series just like it was supposed to, but even on the road there, it was utter chaos to get to that point. Seven-game NLCS, crazy comeback for the Dodgers, all that stuff. And on the American League side last year, you had Tampa Bay, best team in the American League, make it to the World Series, going through the Yankees and Astros, the second and third best teams, in the American League. No wacky upsets, no nothing like that. The Yankees went five games in a best of five against Tampa. They lost. Garrett Cole, Mike Brasso, home run off of Roldis Chapman. The joke that Garrett Cole made more money that year than the entire Rays roster, and yet the Rays still beat the Yankees in the playoffs, and then they played the Astros, went up 3-0. Astros won three in a row, So it was a seven-game Rays win, but it was chaos to get there. And we got the result of Dodgers and Rays and a normal World Series, but each game being four and a half hours, and I just milk all of that up. So that's how baseball playoffs speak to me. And this year could be one of those chaos years 
because of how weird everything looks right now and the fact that the Dodgers just lost Max Muncy and Clayton Kershaw for the playoffs. That's Max Muncy, their best hitter during the regular season, and Clayton Kershaw, their second best pitcher, maybe third best pitcher now that I think about it because the Dodgers have so many good pitchers, whether it's Bueller or Max Scherzer or he who shall not be named men's rights activist Trevor Bauer. And Julio Urias. I forgot about Julio Urias. He's a legitimate starter now. And ginger guard Dustin May has been out for the entire season, and he pitched Game 6 of the World Series last year. So the Dodgers are just ridiculously stacked up and down. And that's what makes it so weird that the Giants staved them off the entire way through. And I thought we were going to start with the Yankees and Red Sox, but now we're going in on Giants and Dodgers. So if we're going to do that now, we might as well play our San Francisco Giants song. I've said it before, there are two things that I love more than anything on this earth, and it is 70s sports anthems and 2000s remakes of 70s sports anthems. More teams need to do remakes like that, so we can play like Rob Stone's rap or the Miami Dolphins fight song remade by T-Pain back in 2008 that the Dolphins still haven't won a playoff game since it was made, but... The San Francisco Giants' Bye Bye Baby song is actually pretty good, so I like that 1970s song that the Giants have there. So the Giants ended up staving off the Dodgers, and for those looking for like a 10-second recap of six months of baseball content, the whole way through I kept saying, Giants are going to fade, Giants are going to fade, Giants are going to fade, Dodgers are the much better team, they're still the much better team on paper, Dodgers had a higher run differential, the Giants just kept winning and winning and winning. At one point... In September, the Giants and Dodgers were tied, and they were playing each other in a three-game series, and everyone felt like, okay, this is where the baton gets shifted. The Dodgers have been behind San Francisco all year. The Giants are certainly less talented than the Dodgers. The Giants are basically just the exact same team that won 75 games three years ago with Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford and Longoria and Buster Posey. And Johnny Cueto is one of their main starters, and Kevin Gossman, and Dee Sclafani, and Alex Wood, and just fun names from like 2017 baseball. And they went like 74 and 90, or 72 and 90, whatever it is, a couple of years before with basically the same roster. Everyone predicted they'd be a 500 team. They just kept winning and winning and winning. And I think the explanation for it is. It's really hard to get three outs in a row, and they're very good at getting three outs in a row. It seems simple, but when you think about it, one through eight in the lineup is hard to get out three times in a row means you're going to manufacture more runs than you might be expected to with a team like the Yankees that are a keg softball team with all guys who are 6'4 or larger 
who strike out a lot. So you can find outs within the lineup, even if they're going to hit a lot of home runs and doubles and get big plays like that, which is why the Giants finished third in offense and the Yankees finished 21st in offense this year in baseball. But San Francisco ends up tied with the Dodgers in early September And the Giants end up fighting them off by winning two out of three in that series and won the division outright. It took to the last day of the season, but they did win the division outright. And so now the Dodgers have to play Wednesday against the Cardinals in a one-game winner-go-home, which nobody wants to play in a winner-go-home. They're totally random. It's the thing I've been saying all year is like if you're the Padres or you're the Yankees or you're the Red Sox or the now-vanquished Toronto Blue Jays, or the now-vanquished Oakland Athletics, or the Mariners, who are somehow still in it at the end. If you're one of those teams, you're talking for months and months and months and watching hours and hours and hours of games, and all of this matters for a one-game playoff. And now we get the one-game playoff tonight with the Yankees and Red Sox. But for the Dodgers-Cardinals side of it, you gotta be feeling... Better than anyone who's been in the wildcard game previously, if you're the Dodgers, because the Dodgers won 106 games. Nobody who's played in a wildcard has won more than 102 in the eight years that the wildcard has existed. And so the Dodgers are going up against a team in St. Louis who is probably about an 85-win team. That's about a 20-win difference, and usually you don't see that in the wild card. Like, I remember Oakland, the Athletics, in 2018 and 2019. So 2018, they lost to the Yankees, and 2019, they lost to the Rays in the wild card. Both of those years, they won 98 games. And they were underdogs in both games, and they lost one at Yankee Stadium. That was the team that won 102 games, was the Yankees that year. And they lost to Tampa at home in the two wildcard games. So that was 97 wins, and that couldn't get it done. The Cardinals not only won, I believe, 92 games, if I remember correctly, But they had needed like a 15-16 game win streak to make it happen. So we may come back Wednesday and be like, oh my god, the Dodgers are back to being the Dodgers after their one year pause to win a World Series. I was incorrect. The Cardinals only won 90 games. And it took a 16 game win streak to get to 90 games. Because the joke I've been making for years about the Cardinals, they exist to win 85 to 90 games. Every now and then in a week, year in the NL Central, that'll be good enough to win the division. They'll get a three seed or they'll miss the playoffs. This year, they got to be the five seed because everyone else just totally collapsed in the National League, whether it's the Reds, Padres, Mets, Phillies, everyone just collapsed in the National League. So they get to make the playoffs. But if you're the Dodgers, you do have to be feeling pretty good about yourself. And like we talked about last week with Razor, because we kind of predicted the Cardinals and Dodgers would be playing each other. How the hell is 40-year-old Adam Wainwright starting a wildcard game? Good lord. How are how are Wainwright and Scherzer starting a wildcard game at Dodger Stadium on Wednesday? 40-year-old Wainwright, 36-year-old Max Scherzer. I don't understand any of that. So if you're the Dodgers, should be feeling pretty good about yourself, but fully acknowledge it's a one-game wildcard. Feeling good about yourself means you have like a 61% chance of winning instead of a 54% chance of winning because it's just so damn 
random. Speaking of damn random, let's go to Yankees Red Sox, shall we? And this feels a little disingenuous because they haven't won yet, but I played that uh, New York, New York song yesterday, and I kind of want to play it again just because we're going to talk about the Yankees and the Red Sox. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York So here's what I'm not gonna do today I am not going to do deep intellectual analysis about the Yankees lineup stacked up against Boston's or talk about Verdujo and Schwarber and Devers and Bogarts as a 1-2-3-4 type of lineup. I'm not going to talk about the possibility of J.D. Martinez not playing for the Boston Red Sox and how that impacts the game. I'm not going to talk about Aaron Boone versus Alex Cora and the managerial jabs. I'm not going to talk about Garrett Cole $300 million pitcher for the Yankees who lost last year in a winner go home against Tampa Bay that wasn't his fault because he didn't allow any runs. The Yankees just didn't score any runs. Or Nathan Evaldi who is starting instead of Chris Sale for the Boston Red Sox. And I'm not going to talk about the keg softball lineup of the New York Yankees with Stanton and Judge and Rizzo and Gallo, Luke Voigt, Giovanni Urshela. Uh, Gary Sanchez or Glaber Torres or Brett Gardner. No Aaron Hicks, though. He's the, his, That keg softball player is out for the season. I'm not going to talk about that because the only thing I can tell you about this game, flip a coin. Flip a coin to decide who's going to win this game because it is random as random can be in a one-game sample size with those two teams that finished with the exact same record on the season. Both have looked like almost mirror images the entire season call it a toss-up. If you want deep intellectual analysis, none of it matters. Yes, the Yankees are a slight favorite, and Vegas is taking majority of the bets on the Yankees right now, but it's not like Vegas is going heavy Boston. They're just slight lean towards the Yankees at this point. It's a total toss-up. Flip a coin. What I'm also not going to do is do what we like to call nostalgia porn. And what nostalgia porn is, is the people who really want to talk about how great it is for baseball that the New York Yankees are dueling off against the Boston Red Sox. We got the two premier faces of the sport, the two premier brands of the sport, 27 championships and the evil empire because the Boston Red Sox are the evil empire over the New York Yankees. What I'm going to pivot to to talk about the storyline here is talk about Gen Z's reaction to Yankees Red Sox, a Gen Z baseball fan who very much enjoys the idea of pissing on tradition, just taking all of your baseball traditions and just pissing on them. Having a respect for history, absolutely. 
in terms of the stucky tribalism that makes baseball a way too white and preppy sport, yeah, I'll take all of that, just piss on it, and then light it on fire. Yeah, you can take all your tribalism and go home. You can take all of your baseball traditions and go home. Let's talk about a 21st century Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. Because here is what a Gen Z baseball fan, and again, huge baseball fan. Baseball has, like, people my age genuinely don't like baseball. Like, I'm putting this out here right now. Like, people my age who their parents like baseball genuinely don't like baseball. And I get it. I get why people don't like baseball. I get why people don't like organized sports as a whole. This is the first generation where you can grow up, have no access to sports, and still be a member of popular culture because popular culture doesn't include sports anymore. There's so many streaming options in television and movies and music and social media trends like you don't there's so much more entertainment out there than sports like it used to be where there were only six or so channels and predominantly you would have a baseball game on one of those channels so often Braves games or Cubs games but still you'd have a sporting event predominantly baseball on the television but let's talk about a 21st century Yankees and Red Sox story because I was born in 2001, 2001, a few months before 9-11, but before 9-11, you had the last totally dominant dynasty in Major League Baseball, and I think it'll be the last one that we see of that nature, where one team is just whooping ass on the entire league. Yankees won the World Series in 1996, 1998, 1999, and 2000. Four championships in five years. They have the smartest GM in baseball, Brian Cashman, and they just have exorbitant amounts of money more than everybody else. The Yankees dominate the sport. They've built a core four of Jeter and Posada and Mariano Rivera and Andy Pettit. They signed Jason Giambi after 2000. They, they are just totally, totally dominant. And the rest of the league just throws up their hands and says, oh, well, we can't be the Yankees. We don't have the money to be the Yankees. Why does this change? Moneyball happens. Moneyball happens in 2002 when I was one year old. I grew up in an entirely post-Moneyball world. In that year, 2001, a couple months after 9-11, was barely you know, four or five months old, Yankees lose the World Series in seven games to the Arizona Diamondbacks, one of the great upsets in the history of professional baseball. The Yankees had been to the World Series five times in six years. They would make the World Series again in 2003. This was the dynasty of that era, suffering a miraculous upset at the hands of the upstart Arizona Diamondbacks. It's one of the biggest upsets in the history of the World Series. It goes to seven games. You have the walk-off base hit from the guy whose name I forgot. But 2001, Diamondbacks upset the Yankees in the World Series. 2002, Moneyball year. Yankees lose to the Anaheim Angels, and the Angels end up winning the World Series against the Giants. Flash forward to 2003. 2003-2004 is 
regarded by a lot of people who lived through it and, you know, were born in sometime between, like, 1960 and 1995 as the greatest period in the history of baseball, 2003 to about 2005. And I think the reason for this is because the two sterling franchises in the sport dominating baseball really let's go three three most dominant franchises in baseball in a money ball changing time the new york yankees the boston red sox and the chicago cubs and this was at a time where those three names meant so much to the sport like this is before all of them fall off the table and the cubs end up sucking and then breaking the championship drought and then just becoming a mediocre team but also, you still have regional vibes in sports. You don't have MLB.tv. You're still watching the team in your local market. There's still regional teams in a sport that is predominantly regional, but you still now can follow any team from anywhere. And so baseball fans are no longer regional, even if the sport still remains overwhelmingly regional in a lot of places. So the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Cubs are the best teams in baseball. And again, I'm only two years old. I don't remember this. What I learned from this comes from the documentary later on, Four Days in October, which I watch every single year before the Major League Baseball playoffs. I will probably watch it after I record this podcast to get in the mood for Yankees and Red Sox because it gives you all of that sports porn that we love where it's like the feel-good comeback story, the changing of the tide. And for... Hundreds of years leading up, you had the story of Chicago Cubs, Billy Goat Curse, haven't won a title since 1908, Boston Red Sox, Curse of the Bambino, haven't won a World Series in 85 years. And that leads into 2003, where we are set up for the Cubs to play the Boston Red Sox in the 2003 World Series. They're the most watched NL or NL and ALCS games, the Yankees, Red Sox, Game 7, Marlins, Cubs, Game 6. And what happens in that Game 6? Many of you may know it as the Steve Bartman game. Steve Bartman reaches over, knocks a ball that was going foul back into play, called a foul ball. After that, the Marlins totally fall apart. Steve Bartman basically gets extricated, becomes a scapegoat, And he still has not been seen since. The Cubs invited him back. He refused. He apparently got a championship ring. But nobody knows what Steve Bartman looks like after that one photo in 2003. Basically went into hiding. And so that happens to the Cubs. They lose Game 6 and Game 7 to the Marlins. The Yankees and Red Sox play a Game 7 that ends famously with Tim Wakefield's knuckleball getting hit by Aaron Boone, out of the park, walk-off home run, Game 7, Yankees go to the World Series to play the Marlins. Marlins win the World Series in 2003, another classic-type upset, go to 2004, and you have the greatest moment in the history of baseball, and for most people, one of the biggest moments in the history of sports. The Boston Red Sox come back from down 0-3. First time it's ever happened in the history of the sport. American League Championship Series 2004. Red Sox come back from down 0-3. They beat the Yankees. Was I old enough to remember that? No, but that's an important point. Is that the Red Sox break their curse 
in 2004, when I'm three years old, I don't remember Yankees, Red Sox at a time where the Yankees are the dominant superpower, 27, well at the time, 26 championships, and they always win and the Red Sox always lose. I was listening to Mike Schur, you know Mike Schur, maybe the guy who created uh, Parks and Rec and The Office and he uh, wrote The Good Place and he's a comedy writer who used to be on Saturday Night Live and he's a huge Red Sox fan. It's like every time he watches Yankees Red Sox, he feels like something bad is about to happen to the Red Sox because it always happens to the Red Sox. And it made me so confused. And then I just thought back to baseball history where I'm like, for his father, his grandfather, and for him growing up, that was what happened. The Red Sox were terrible. The Yankees would always do terrible things to them. And even when it wasn't the Yankees, it was the Mets doing terrible things. It was the Angels doing terrible things to them. It happened all the time for the Boston Red Sox. But they won the championship in 2004. And in 2005, they made it back to the playoffs and lost to, I believe that year was the, uh, I believe that was 05 Tigers, I want to say. Tigers, White Sox, one of the two. Either 05 or 06 was White Sox. Um, But that year was kind of like a changing of the tide. And then the White Sox ended up breaking their championship drought. So... Yankees and Red Sox kind of becomes this thing. It was 2005. So, 05, the White Sox break their championship drought. 2006, Yankees win the division again. Uh, I think it was, what, like the 10th time in a row or something the Yankees win? Get to the playoffs, lose to the Tigers. They have Alex Rodriguez now. He wins a couple MVPs. 2007, lose to CeCe Sabathia's Cleveland Indians. And... All of a sudden now, the Boston Red Sox have the 2007 division title. They made, This is my earliest baseball memory. My earliest baseball memory was 2007 when the San Diego Padres played a game 163 against the Colorado Rockies, and they lose because Matt Holliday never touched home plate, still never touched home plate, and will never have touched home plate. He got tagged out, but there was no replay review back then. Padres get eliminated. Rockies make the wild card, and they end up making a magical run to the World Series. And I remember watching that World Series with Jonathan Papelbon closing it out for Boston, Hideki, uh, I'm sorry, Dice K. Mats- Dice K. Bleh, Ma- Dice K. Matsuzuki ends up closing it out, or I'm sorry, starting for the Boston Red Sox in the game I remember that closed out the World Series. They had Josh Beckett, they still had Tim Wakefield. The Dodger, I mean the the Boston Red Sox win the championship in 2007 in near resounding fashion. Like it's not like 2004 where they had to come be the first and only team to come back from down 0-3. My first baseball memories, because again the game 163 was first day of October 2007. Three weeks later, my earliest baseball memory is the Boston Red Sox dominating through the playoffs and we get to 2008 when the Tampa Bay Rays who are this money ball team this team with no money that are somehow turning the tides around in baseball with analytics and being smarter than everyone else and using wacky strategies Tampa Bay makes the World Series in 2008 against the Phillies and they lose the World Series but the fact that they get there is still a sign of the changing times and then 
the Yankees buy a World Series. And that's the thing I'll just say forever. The Yankees just decided we're going to buy a World Series. We're going to buy Mark Teixeira. We're going to buy CeCe Sabathia. To, we're going to buy Johnny Damon to hell with the repercussions. We're just going to buy a World Series. We've been 90 plus wins every year for a decade and we're just going to buy a World Series. We're going to do the old-timey Yankee thing before George Steinbrenner dies. We're just going to buy a World Series. It doesn't always work out, but because they had that core foundation of Jeter and A-Rod, it does end up working out for them. And you can go to Nick Swisher and Hideki Matsui and all those guys that were on the team. Posada was still there. Like You can go down the line to the core that was already there, but the Yankees bought a World Series in 2009, which... They've tried to do again, and it's not as easy to replicate as it might seem. The fact that they won that championship was in and of itself remarkable, but they happened to be playing a year where they played, you know, in the ALCS, they got the Miracle Angels with Jared Weaver going to the ALCS. Like, there was just no competition that year in in the American League. And then they get to the World Series and they beat a pretty good Phillies team. Like, the Phillies were pretty good. But just, they bought a championship in a year that had a lack of competition. Not to diminish the Yankees. Like, the this will be a story kind of diminishing the Yankees because they've only won one championship in two decades. But I remember watching the Yankees buy that one World Series. And then we get into myself as an active, growing up, really loving baseball fan. And the Texas Rangers are really good and the Giants are good, and the Tigers are good, and the Boston Red Sox stink. The Boston Red Sox stink it up again. They're like the remnants of a world championship team, uh, but really they haven't had much success since 2007. They're not really on the radar, but even still, Boston finds themselves kind of creeping their way back up slowly but steadily. Like They had the one really bad year in 2012, but Boston... You know, they're kind of just hanging around a little bit. But even still, this becomes a story about the Yankees because the Yankees become what they have been for a decade through my entire baseball-loving lifetime, which is the New York Yankees are a little brother. Not just a little brother to the Red Sox. Like, the Red Sox haven't played the Yankees very much in the playoffs. The Yankees... After that 2004 with the the four-game 0-3 comeback, maybe the greatest moment in the history of baseball, the Red Sox and Yankees don't play in the playoffs until 2018. They go 15 years without playing each other in the playoffs, which is different than it was in past because, like, Boston wasn't great, but they played in the ALCS in 1999. Like... They they had moments here and there where they played each other. You had the same division, I think it was the 70s, where they played head-to-head and the Yankees kept Boston out of the playoffs. I forgot what year that was, but one of those years, Reggie Jackson keeps Boston out of the playoffs. But they go 15 years without really playing each other, and outside of the World Championships, Boston isn't really that good. Between their second and third championships in 07 and 13, they go make the ALCS and lose to the Rays the year right after, after that, swept by the Angels as a wild card team, missed playoffs 89 wins, missed playoffs 90 wins, missed playoffs 69 and 93. Like, they were pretty much like the Cardinals after that second and third championship. They kind of just fade from relevance a little bit. And so, Boston then turns it around and wins a championship in 2013 
in the, you know, post-Patriot Day bombing season, the Red Sox end up having that championship run, which then goes to reaffirm the fact that the Boston Red Sox are kings and everyone else kind of falls in line after that. But even then, Boston's still, like, Boston's either they go to the World Series or they don't make the playoffs. Like, Boston's one of these teams where they kind of just buy championships over and over a couple times, which, like I said, doesn't work all that often, but it, it it's good enough because there's still salary discrepancies within baseball between large markets and small markets. All of this is to say the Yankees, during this period, become the exact same team, which is little brothers of baseball. The New York Yankees in 2011 and 2012, eliminated by the Detroit Tigers. They lose in the DS in five games to the Tigers, get swept out of the playoffs in 2012 by the Detroit Tigers, which that year was a resounding defeat. Like, I remember that. And the Tigers get smacked in the World Series by the Giants. But that felt like, oh my gosh, like people people older than me, like parents of kids on my team are like, I've never seen the Yankees get smacked like that. Like, it never happens where the Yankees just get absolutely destroyed in a series, where they just go in knowing they're going to lose. So they lose in 2012, 2013, 2014, miss the playoffs, but they're slowly turning it around. They build a core of a team around Aaron Judge. They trade uh, Chapman for Glaber Torres and then sign him immediately right back. They bring in... A bunch of different people around that team, and obviously Stanton being the soup de jour on that. But they miss the playoffs a couple times, and Chap- uh, Cashman slowly rebuilds. And they go from being little brothers to the Tigers to losing in the playoffs in 2015, 2017, and 2019 to the Houston Astros. 2018, lose to the Boston Red Sox, who end up going to the World Series. 2020, lose to the Tampa Bay Rays. The Yankees are 8-0 in games against any other team. You know, these teams that are like kind of cool stories that make runs. Oakland, they've beat them twice in the playoffs. Minnesota, they've beat them three times in the playoffs. Cleveland, they beat them once in the playoffs. A pretty good Cleveland team, too. No, sorry, twice in the playoffs. They beat them last year in the wild card, 2017 and 2020. Beat Cleveland, beat Baltimore. So that's two against Oakland, three against Minnesota, two against Cleveland, one against Baltimore. 8-0 against those smaller type teams where the Yankees can just outspend them. Against teams of equal spending power and the Tampa Bay Rays, but... Of the other teams which are equal spending power, the Tigers, the Astros, and the Red Sox, as well as Tampa last year, the Yankees are 0-9. 0-9. They've been eliminated twice by the Tigers, three times by the Astros, once by Boston. They were about to be eliminated by Tampa again, so it's technically 0-8. And now this year, they get to play a Boston Red Sox team that spent significantly less than they did and was really kind of in a rebuilding type of stage. The Yankees have been little brothers for a damn decade. They've won one championship in 20 years despite being consistently good. The Yankees, whether you slice it or dice it, are not losers, but the Yankees are disappointments. They are the little brother. They are Michigan State to Michigan, and they are Michigan to Ohio State. Boston is the big, big bad villain. Boston in 2018 
dominated the Yankees. Game 3 ALDS against the Yankees. Boston won 17 to 1. 17 to 1. My lifetime is Boston putting a spanking on the New York Yankees. It's Boston winning four championships while the Yankees had one run. The Yankees have been consistently good, but the Astros are the Yankees' big brother. The Astros are the Yankees' daddies, if I'm to quote Pedro Martinez. Like, Houston dominates the Yankees. Tampa has dominated the Yankees. Tampa has the number one seed this year over the Yankees, despite the fact they're spending three and a half times less than the New York Yankees. New York and Boston means something really, really different to a 2000s baseball fan. To someone who was born in a changing time in the sport and a changing time where tradition kind of fades because people just get old and phased out of the sport, at a time where I don't know a baseball world that is predominantly white other than the people in positions of power. I'm talking about like players and like people that you watch. This is a sport that does, if you love hanging on to tradition, and tradition kind of means tribalism, which kind of means white. If you like hanging on to the traditions of the sport, I don't got anything for you there. Other than the tribalism of just passing down these old-timey baseball traditions from one generation to the next, but that would not be an informed baseball fan, now would it? That wouldn't be an informed sports fan at that. And so this Yankees-Red Sox game is like, I look up and I'm like, Boston's not a better team than the Yankees, but that's just a year-over-year thing. Three years ago, oh yeah, Boston was whooping the Yankees' ass. For the past half decade, Astros have been whooping the Yankees' ass. You can put cheating aside or whatever, but... Astros whooped them up in 2015, whooped them up in seven games in 2016, pitched a shutout in game seven of that series. 2019, six games, and it shouldn't have even been that close. Yankees are a team that gets to the playoffs and gets bounced in the playoffs. They have lost in the last, what is it, 11 years. They've lost twice in the AL wild, no, once in the wild card. They could lose tomorrow, and well, today. They could lose on Tuesday and be gone from the wild card for a second time. But they've also lost in the DS three times. They've lost in the ALCS five times. And they have missed the playoffs three times across the last 12 years. No World Series appearance. They are the little brothers. Even though they win 90 games consistently every year or 100 games or 103 games, Yankees are the little brothers, a team that is caught between making the decision that might be right or fruitful or more sustainable and short-term winning opportunities. Because franchises that aren't the Yankees, like the Cubs, like Cleveland, their windows don't last forever. Like, they're exceptions to the rule, and we universally regard the Yankees as one of those teams because they're consistently in the top five in spending, which is an expectation when you have that job, is having the infinite resources of the New York Yankees who make the most money in baseball outside of revenue sharing. The Yankees, the Dodgers, Boston, the Astros, but even Boston was bad for two years. They missed the playoffs in 2019 and 2020. Boston, between championships two and three, missed the playoffs three times. 
between championships three and four and 13 and 18. Missed the playoffs twice, lost in the ALDS twice, and pretty much got smacked both times. Like Cleveland swept them, Astros beat them in four, but the only reason they won one of them was because of a bad pitching performance from, I think, Dallas Keuchel. Trying to remember who it was, but I remember that series kept getting played in the afternoon. It was like the turning point for the Astros dynasty. And even then, after that, they went two years of being Bobo. Like, Boston doesn't do sustainable. The Yankees do sustainable, but they don't do sustainably great. They just sustain being in the playoffs. And if that's the mindset that appeases the franchise, so be it. I don't know how you get over the hump other than just the randomness of baseball. Maybe this will be that pattern for the Yankees, but you don't like being in the one-game sample Because like we talked about, it is super freaking random and hard to pick out who's going to be really good and who's not. So for the Yankees and the Red Sox, that's a bit of a 21st century Yankees Red Sox story. And for tonight's game, call it a coin toss. Call it a coin toss and just enjoy four hours of beautiful MF in baseball and then come back on Wednesday and watch four more beautiful beautiful hours of MF in baseball so we've got the two series that are already locked down in stone we got the Astros taking on the White Sox which I talked about I've been so excited for that series for a while now and you know they won't start until Thursday so we've got some time there but something I find interesting is that the White Sox have been so good this year offensively and their pitching staff has done enough to get by like they've got great relievers Kimbrell and and Liam Hendricks and they their starters have come and gone like Giolito's been fine Dallas Keuchel's been fine so far this year Rodon was great at the start of the year and then he got hurt for a bit but the White Sox kind of the White Sox might be that team that like the Nationals a couple of years ago went to like seven people or five pitchers that they use the entire playoffs that might be what the White Sox come down to if push comes to shove but the Astros the Astros are weird because I think they're really good and I'm interested to see how they match up against the White Sox because that honestly, that might be the hardest series for them because they match up well against Tampa. And if they're playing the Yankees or Boston in the ALCS, it would be probably a favorites for Houston, but they match up well against Tampa. What's different for Houston is that it's just a different cast of characters than it's been in years past. So honestly, I just don't know what to make of it. Like McCullers is awesome. They still have Zach Granke roaming around there, which is... Look, I mean, at the time it was a huge trade, but it's looking even better now that they don't have the same depth of starting pitchers that they've gone to in past years. And so I'm excited about that series. We don't know the starting pitching matchups at the time of recording yet, so it's hard to give an analysis on the series. And the Brewers should take care of the Braves. The Braves are kind of like that team that had to get in by default from the terrible division. And so... I think the Brewers should beat them up, even though the Brewers' offense was bad for most of the season and their pitching staff is awesome. And we didn't talk enough about Devin Williams because he should have been on the memes of the weekend because that man broke his hand in an angry fight, or I'm sorry, in a spat of anger at getting drunk after they clinched the division title, which is never a great situation for anyone. Like if you're Kershaw, you've got the injuries. If you're Max Muncy, you get hurt in the last game of the season, which is brutal. Devin Williams' self-inflicted punishment for 
the Milwaukee Brewers. So that one's kind of a bit of an L for them. And, you know, Tampa Bay might be the best team in the playoffs, and I haven't really mentioned them at all, which is just kind of ridiculous at this point. But the Brewers, pretty good ride they had so far. I'll shout out Milwaukee where credit is due. They've been awesome this year, I think above pretty much everyone's expectations, considering that whole division looked like it was going to be bad and the NL East looked like it was going to be deep, and then they kind of just flip-flopped where the Brewers kicked ass in the NL East. Everyone was disappointing this year, even the Braves, um, who are basically just trying to like ride the wave of Freddie Freeman once more. It hasn't been a great ride so far for them. So I would say Milwaukee, Atlanta should go to the Brewers. That's the one series where you look up and say that one feels pretty secure. Every other one could be kind of deep, but if you're picking the four series, regardless of who wins the wildcard games, I think... They're going to be close matchups with Tampa and the Giants um, and the Braves and the Brewers should be the one where the Brewers win the series rather handily because we talked about it when Acuna went down and there hasn't been that much of an evolution on the Braves front other than the Mets collapsing so the Mets don't get to play in this game but even still with the Braves playing it felt like the peak of the Braves already happened in the past unfortunately for the Braves of course but if that was the peak of the Braves last year being up 3-1 against the Dodgers and Freddie Freeman is technically a free agent even though I think he's going to be back and even then he's getting older and you're desperately waiting for Mike Soroka to turn into something and Max Freed to become an ace but your your bullpen is always perpetually two relievers short that's another joke about the Braves their bullpen is always two relievers short felt like last year was kind of the peak for Atlanta and this year they're kind of just working on like added time or bonus time because the Phillies can't get their shit together and the Mets collapsed and Washington finally their window closed after a decade of success for Washington which is something that hasn't really been the case in the past but Washington did sell off and Miami is Miami small market team always going to finish fourth or fifth in that division except last year where they miraculously made it to the NLDS and beat the Chicago they ended the Chicago Cubs officially put the nail in the coffin of the Chicago Cubs dynasty which is kind of weird to think about that Miami Miami had that magical run in the 60 game season last year, but they're terrible. Washington's terrible. The Mets collapsed. Philadelphia can't get their shit together. Braves win the division by default. Should lose to the Brewers, maybe in three games. Maybe they get a pity fourth game, but who knows? It's baseball's playoffs. Any random thing can happen in the Major League Baseball playoffs. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited. I hope you're excited about baseball. If you're not excited about baseball, more stuff that you might like will be coming in the next few days, but it's October and I am so happy and you can probably hear the giddiness in my voice as I rambled for 50 plus minutes about baseball. So thank you for stopping in everybody and as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.